Well, we are so blessed, are we not? So many musical people. And you know, I was thinking about it. I wouldn't want to play in the handbell choir because that's a lot of pressure. I mean, because if you miss your ring, you could throw everything off. Kind of reminds you a little boy who was in the Christmas program at his church and he got the part of the innkeeper and he was practicing his lines and uh, there is no room in the inn. 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 No in he was practicing and he, he thought he had it down and they did rehearsal and he had it down. And the night of the play came and the church was full. And he was nervous and he looks out and sees the whole crowd and all of a sudden he forgot his line, just whipped open the door and said, y'all come on in. <laughs> you get your part wrong, it messes up the whole thing. And so thank you ladies, y'all did a tremendous job today. We're going to talk about something this morning that nobody likes to do. Nobody likes to do. You don't like doing it? I don't like doing it. You look to the person to the left, the right of you, in front of you, behind you. None of us likes doing what we're going to talk about today. You say, well, what in the world is that? Well, it's this. Spending a night weeping and crying and mourning in sorrow. I'm not talking about tears of joy, no. I'm talking about tears of sorrow and tears of pain. Now, sadly, nights like this are quite common in our world. you know why? Because we live in a broken world. A world that's broken because of sin. Sin brought about sorrow and sadness and pain and sickness and death. Uh, sin brought about this, these times of wailing and weeping. And David knew all about this in his own life. In fact, in his life was a lot like ours in many ways. He had highs and lows. He had joys and sorrows. He had nights of dancing and nights of weeping. And in this final message in our series, Notable Nights in the Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at and examining one of the Psalms. In fact, if you go ahead and turn there, Psalm 30. We're going to study Psalm 30 today. And Psalm 30 talks about a night of weeping. Now listen, I've got good news. I know it's Christmas time and uh, you didn't come thinking you were going to hear a message like this, but I've got good news. While we're going to begin with sadness today, we're going to end in gladness. While we'll begin with mourning, we're going to end with dancing. And while we'll begin in clothes of sackcloth, we're going to change to clothes of gladness. So you've got to stay with me until the end. So I don't want you to leave too early and stay in the weeping I want you to be rejoicing as we study Psalm 30, as we see what David learned here from the Lord and what he experienced in his own life. And it's only 12 verses. We're going to study it together here today. And I'll read through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and talk about it, all right? Psalm 30. It says there, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You've kept me alive and I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping 
Watch this. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, before we dive in those 12 verses, I need to just kind of talk to you about a couple things about Psalm 30 that I think you may be wondering about or you may have questions about or maybe you've never even thought about, but I want to mention them to you real quickly before we get into it. You may have noticed, depending on your translation of the Bible, that there's a heading above this psalm. I'm reading from the New King James, and mine says a song at the dedication of the house of David, but your translation may talk about the dedication of the temple. Now, the reason it would say house versus temple is because the word can be translated house or temple. And some scholars believe that this this psalm was written for the dedication of David's home, for his palace. Others say, no, this was for the dedication of the temple. But if you remember, David wasn't at that dedication because his son Solomon built the temple, and so they would have used it for that. Uh, Some think, no, it really wasn't for those things. It was for the dedication of the temple site itself. Others say, no, it wasn't even for that. It's when David brought the Ark of the Lord back, and that's when they used this psalm. In reality, we're not sure exactly the setting, but it really doesn't impact the lessons that we're going to learn from the psalm today. The second thing is, when you think about this episode in David's life, we're not sure if this is something we already know about from reading in other parts of the Bible, or if this is something that took place and this is all we know about it. Depending upon who you read and who you study, different ones will say, oh, this is when this happened to David or that happened to David. But in reality, we don't know exactly what's happening here. And then, thirdly, when you look at this, you might be wondering, well, is this talking all about one event or are there two events taking place? In other words, was there one thing that happened and then the second thing that happened or is it all revolving around the same thing? Well, after my study, I'm kind of convinced that it's all talking about the same thing, and that's the way I'm going to present it to you today. But regardless of all of that, the truth is very clear in this passage. And I'll give you the summary, and then we'll kind of break it apart. David is praising the Lord for deliverance from great trouble. He's praising the Lord from deliverance from great trouble. Now, you'll notice as we read, I hope, that David in this psalm is primarily talking to God. He's addressing the Lord. He's praising the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. He's making supplication. It's all God word, except for two or three verses, depending upon how you look at them. There's at least two verses that address what he calls there the saints, the nation of Israel, the saints. And there might be a possible third verse, but the majority of this is God word. He's talking to God. And I want you to notice as we study it, and we'll kind of dive in now, that really what we have here is David is praising the Lord for God's deliverance. And God delivered David from three troubling issues in his life. 
First of all, can I just show you that God delivered David from sickness. He delivered David from sickness. Did you notice in verse 2, David clearly said to the Lord, you healed me. You healed me. Now, some people look at that and say, well, that's probably spiritually speaking. And it is true that God did spiritually heal David. And God spiritually heals us as well. But I think this psalm is talking about a serious sickness that David had. Verse 3 says that God brought him up from the grave. He kept him alive. He didn't allow him to go down to the pit. That is the place of the dead. Uh, In his pleading with the Lord in verses 8 through 10, he speaks again about dying. Uh, He praises the Lord in verse 1 that the Lord lifted him up so that his enemies would not gloat over his death and rejoice in the fact that David is dead. David, I'm convinced, was seriously ill. Now the question is why? Why was David ill? Well, you know, we could say like us, David lived in a broken world, in a broken body. There were lots of germs. And sickness comes to us. In fact, several have come in today and you're struggling with head colds and sinuses and allergies and all kinds of things. And it doesn't matter if we're a Christian or an atheist, sickness comes to us. In fact, the reality is even good Christian people, at times they get sick and die. God in his perfect providence and perfect wisdom allows that to happen, but it's a fact. But sometimes, listen, sometimes sickness comes as a form of discipline for the child of God. Now, I've got to warn you, be careful here. It's not our job to make a judgment call on somebody's sickness. To say, oh, I know why they're sick. I know why she's sick. No, that's not our job. But sometimes the fact remains, God will bring sickness in the life of a child of God as a form of discipline. And this seems to be what happened here in David's life. David is being disciplined because of his sin. Particularly, you say, well, which sin is it? Well, I think it's the sin that can be so subtle and yet so deadly, the sin of pride. And did you notice it? We read about it. Look at it again in verse 6. David says, Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. In the NLT, here's how it says it. When I was prosperous, I said, Nothing can stop me now. Listen to how the message rendered verses 6 and 7. When things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made. I'm God's favorite. He made me king of the mountain. Then you look the other way and I fell to pieces. It seems here that David got a little too proud and God decided to humble him through sickness. Tim and Kathy Keller wrote, we often stroll through life thinking that everything will be fine until suddenly it isn't. Our unconscious or even verbalized thought is, I'm solid, I'm on top of things, I've got it nailed, I plan well, I'm secure. But then what happens, beloved? All of a sudden the bottom drops out. This brings us to the second deliverance that God gives David. God delivered David from self. God delivered David from self. See, God loved David too much to leave him in a sinful, proud condition. You see, if God's going to make us like Jesus, God has to make sure that we remain humble. Sometimes He uses various means to do that. 
Sometimes it's sickness. As I was studying this, and I didn't even want to share this, but as I was studying this, I remembered something that happened to me when I was growing up. I was in the seventh grade, and I was riding. My brother and I were out riding a four-wheeler. We were out in the woods at my grandfather's place, and my older brother is six years older than I am. And that day, we were tearing through the woods on a four-wheeler. And to be honest with you, my brother was driving a little bit too fast and too wild for my liking. I was just hanging on the back. He was in control of the four-wheeler. And I remember telling him something along the lines of slow down, and I made the comment, something along these lines, I haven't broken any bones yet, and I want to keep it that way. The very next week, I think it was, that it snowed. And I grew up in northeastern North Carolina. It had snowed. The snow was mostly gone, but it left behind mud. I came out of our lunchroom at our school where I went, and I took off running, and I hit a patch of mud, and I began to slide. It wasn't graceful, by the way. And I landed on the sidewalk, and I broke both bones in this right leg. And I laid out there for quite a while. Uh, they, one of the students there was EMT trained and so forth. They went to the shop class. They got boards. They got bandages. They splinted my leg, and I laid there waiting. We weren't very far from the hospital, but just the ambulance would never come. It was so bad, the custodian uh, kind of mentioned he could get his El Camino and drive me to the hospital. <laughs> it didn't come to that. They wanted to do surgery. I was transferred to a different hospital in a different place in North Carolina. They didn't do surgery. I saw a sports specialist. He put me in a cast, and I remained in a cast for three months. Now, you tell me, is that coincidence or is that providence? To make matters worse, I came home, and I, couldn't, I didn't go right back to school. Um, it took a little bit of time. I was in a cast from literally from near my waist all the way down to my toes. So I was out for a little bit. It took me a little bit of time to get back to school. But I remembered the only fellow from my class that came to see me while I was recovering. I was in bed there at my home. The only boy that came to see me was the boy that we picked on the most in class. He's the only one that came to see me personally. And I felt about that big. I'm still humbled about it to this day. The one that we gave the hardest time, the one that we picked on the most, was the one who came and saw me. God has a way of humbling us, of correcting us, of disciplining us that is perfectly suited for us. Why? Because God loves us too much to leave us in our stinking sinful, proud condition. Never forgot that lesson. I don't know where that fellow is anymore. I'd love to talk with him. 
tell him personally I'm sorry for what we did. Tommy, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry. But our Heavenly Father disciplines us and He corrects us because He loves us. And He does it not to harm us, but to help us, just like a loving parent will discipline their child. Why? Because they love that child. They're trying to bring about a correction in their life to help them to be what they ought to be. And God, in His gracious mercy, He delivered David from sickness. He delivered David from self. And then I want you to notice, thirdly, He delivered David from sadness. He delivered David from sadness. This brings us to verses 4 and 5, talking about the night of weeping. It says in verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His. Give thanks to the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night. You ever been there? You ever notice, beloved, how things look so much worse at night in the darkness? You're there in the darkness, you're struggling with something, and in the darkness it just seems to get darker and darker and darker and darker. You maybe feel like you're going to be consumed by the darkness. It's just so bad. You can't see your way forward, you can't understand. You're there weeping, mourning, sorrow, sadness, but then morning comes. And with the morning joy. Now sometimes, listen, sometimes there's multiple nights of weeping before the morning of joy comes. Some of you are there right now. It's Christmas time. For some, Christmas is the most exciting time of the year and they're excited about everything. And they're just bouncing here and bouncing there. But for others, Christmas is one of the hardest times of the year and it's filled with sadness and sorrow and memories. And and maybe that's you. Maybe instead of rejoicing this Christmas season, you're weeping your way through the holidays. But I've got to tell you, child of God, joy is coming. I love what Amy uh, Carmichael said. Uh, She said, joys are always on the way to us. They're traveling to us through the darkness of the night. There's never a night when they are not coming. Joy comes in the morning. Collins said the morning is a figure for the time at which God gives relief. And it might not arrive until the last day, but it's sure to come. And that's the case. Even if relief does not come here for the child of God, joy is coming up there. God's going to set all things right. He's going to wipe away every tear, the Bible says. How many have died in pain and opened their eyes in joy in the presence of the Lord? Joy is coming in the morning, but many times this plays itself out right here, right now. We find ourselves sometimes when everything is dark and everything is doom and gloom and there's nothing but tears and you feel like you're never going to laugh again. I mean, you can't even hardly get a smile going. But in the midst of those days as a child of God, even though you may not recognize it, you may not realize it, God is at work in your life. And He's healing you and He's sustaining you and He's helping you. And then one day, one day a a small smile spreads across your face. And, And little by little and slowly but slowly, next thing you know, there comes a day when you actually let out a laugh. There comes a day when joy returns. 
Because as Amy Carmichael said, they're always on the way to us. In David's case here, the cause of sadness was God's discipline. Did you notice verse 5? It's one you'd be well served to meditate on. Verse number 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Did you notice there it talks about God's anger? That refers to God's discipline. When he talks about God's anger, there's some of his discipline toward his child. Did you notice how long it lasts? How long does it say that God's anger lasts? A moment. That is, it's short. It's brief. It, it, the discipline's only as long as it's necessary to do the work in your life that God needs to do. But do you notice what it says about His favor? Notice what it says in verse 5. For His anger is but for a moment, but what? His favor is how long? For life. In other words, His anger is this was but for a moment, but His favor, His goodwill toward you is for a lifetime. Now you understand, I think, when he says there, see how it fits? Weeping may endure for a night. Why is he weeping? Because God's disciplining him. God's correcting him. It endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There's a temporary episode there where God is dealing with him. I wasn't in a cast forever. By the way, though, just so I don't forget, that ankle on that leg swells quite often. My doctor told me it's probably because of the, the break in my leg and how things were structured. That leg is also larger than this leg because it lived in a cast for three months. So when I look down and that ankle swelling, I remember, <laughs> I remember sometimes why. But you see, I wasn't in a cast forever. I was there for three months and I moved on with life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In fact, God so delivered David here. Did you notice what he told the Lord in verses 11 and 12? You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Well, that's a big change, isn't it? <laughs> you went from weeping to leaping. He says, you put off my sackcloth. You know, sackcloth, we kind of think of, I think about like burlap. Imagine wearing a burlap outfit around. With fashion today, they probably will be. But anyway, imagine wearing a burlap sack around and he took that off and he clothed him with garments of gladness. To the end, verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's all about God. Old J. Vernon McGee said this psalm was David's hallelujah for healing He's praising the Lord for healing him, for delivering him. God is so gracious and so kind to us. Now, I've been talking primarily to Christians today. But if you're not a Christian, I need to tell you something very important. You need to become a Christian. You've enjoyed many of God's gracious gifts to you. His common grace, the sun, the rain, air, oxygen, food, water. But God loves you so much that He wants to deliver you from your greatest need and that is He wants to forgive you of your sin and give you a home in heaven. And the Bible is very clear that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Jesus Christ, 
God in the flesh died for us, shed His blood for us, took our punishment upon Himself, was buried, rose again, and He lives forever. And He invites you to put your faith, your trust in Him alone. If you'll do that, He will save you. Because the things I'm talking about here are in regards to Christians. In order to become a Christian, you must place your trust in Jesus Christ to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. And I would encourage you, if you've never done that, to do that today. But let's go back to the Christians for a moment. I want to exhort you from this passage. You know, what do we do with this? Well, we know David's already said, what, sing praise and give thanksgiving and extol the Lord. All that is... It's absolutely clear in the psalm, and I would encourage you to do that. But there's two more things here that I want to leave with you. Two exhortations that I think we all need to take with us from this passage. The first one is this. Are you ready? Beware, beware of pride. Beware of pride. James Montgomery Boyce wrote something about this psalm that's worth hearing. He said, self-confidence rather than God-confidence, is a common failure among us. Blessed as many of us have been with abundant wealth, enviable education and technical skills, as a people, we think we can prosper by our hustle. We just think, well, we got it made. We, we can do what we need to do. David said, right? I, I'm doing good. What's going to stop me now? Friend, we need God's grace to stay alive at this very moment, that our heart keeps functioning and our lungs keep functioning. We're not as wonderful as we think we are. We're totally dependent upon God's grace. He went on to write, as a church, we think we can manage our affairs and advance our work by secular skills and fundraising techniques and all that without relying on God. And you know, there's a lot we can do in our own strength here. But what is it going to value when it burns up? We've got to make sure that we're totally dependent upon God. And then Boyce said, and he's in heaven now, he wrote this many years ago, as a nation, as a nation we think we can survive on the strength of our military might, our industrial production. What a shaking there will have to be. What calamities before we again humble ourselves under the hand of God and look to Him to exalt us in His way and His time. And you know what? I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful to live where I live. I'm patriotic. And I pledge allegiance to the flag. And I sing the national anthem. I do all those things. But I've got to realize, and you need to realize as well, that if it were not for God's grace, we'd be in serious trouble. It's not our might. It's not our knowledge and our wisdom. It's not our greatness. It's God's blessing upon us. And that's true in our own lives, in our church, in our families, in our nation. And we need to humble ourselves and say, Oh God, we pray for Your mercy. We pray for Your direction. We pray for Your blessing. We pray for Your help. Deliver us from self. Save us from ourselves. And then here's the last exhortation. Look for joy. Look for joy. Remember what Amy Carmichael said? Joys are always on the way to us. Now, why is that true? I'm talking to children of God, to, to, to believers tonight, today. Why is that true? Well, remember what it said earlier? It said in this verse what? That God's favor is for how long? 
for life. God's favor is for our life. And in reality, could we not even add to that thought? God's favor is not only for this life, but for the life to come. We're going to spend all eternity face to face with Christ our Savior. So what did we need to do what David did? We need to cry out to God for help. And we need to look for the joy that is only found in Him. And be encouraged, child of God. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for not allowing us to ourselves and our own will and our own way and our stubbornness and our pride. Forgive us, O God, when we have depended upon the arm of flesh, when we've strutted around like we were really something, realizing that our very life is actually held in Your hand. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves Realize that you draw near to the humble, but you resist the proud. So we want your nearness in our life today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Some might be here today and they're carrying on in sin. And in pride, they're resisting the Holy Spirit. Help them to repent of that, to confess that. Others may not even know you today. I pray the Holy Spirit to touch their heart and bring them to faith in Christ. Help us remember in the midst of the days of weeping that those are temporary and that joy is coming. Thank you for your favor upon us. We know we're not worthy of it. We know we don't deserve it. But you and your love and mercy and grace extended to us. So we praise you for it. We ask you to bless this invitation. Have your will in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 458, Near to the Heart of God. If you have a need, you'd like to come pray at the altar. The altar is open. If you have a need you'd like to be prayed with, something about uh, Pastor Larry's here, I'm here, others can help. If you need to be saved and you don't know much about that or how that works or what that's all about, we'd love to talk with you about that. The altar's open, the invitation is, is today, whatever God's leading you, you obey and follow. But you come as we sing 458, near to the heart of God. Let's stand together and let's sing. Oh, uh-huh.